give my Bible to anybody else. 2 Timothy 3 is where we'll be for the preaching this evening. It will be shorter since we have some celebration to do. Second Timothy chapter number three. I'll say one quick announcement here uh, from the morning. There are still a good number of books, material left. If you are interested, and at this point, if you are interested just in preserving it for history's sake, because otherwise, those who don't want it, I can tell you the church doesn't. <laughs> we love it. We think it's good, but nobody here at the church needs it to educate. So. It will not just be here collecting dust. So that is my soft way of saying from Pam, get it or it's gone. Is that right, Pam? Does that feel fair? She's shaking her head yes. So, All right. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Read with me verses 14 through 17. The Bible says this. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child that has known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly, or completely furnished unto all good works. Let's open in prayer and we'll jump right into the preaching. Father, help us this evening as we look at who we are as a church and how we educate. Pray that you'll bless in this hour. May we understand our philosophy in this area clearly this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So far in our series throughout the evenings this year, we have looked quite a, at quite a few philosophies or ways in which we operate as a church family. On Sunday mornings, uh, we have a good number of people here and a good number of programs that go on. And so for those who are the Sunday night comers, those who are faithful to the church service, we've been going through and trying to study what is it we believe so that we might be able to act in accordance one with another? We find in this passage in 2 Timothy a good framework for our philosophy of education as we'll come to it this evening. Timothy is a young man trained in the scriptures by his mom and by his grandmother. Acts chapter 16 and verse 1 is where Paul first meets Timothy. We note there that his mother is married to a man, a devout Greek man. And we find in the passage that I read for the young people this evening in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 that Timothy had been trained in the law or the things of God. Well, here in chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, Paul is leaning upon the education that he received. Chapter 3 of 2 Timothy is the second to last chapter the great apostle Paul ever wrote. And in it, he is telling his son in the faith, times are going to get tough. There's going to be difficulty in this world. You better lean on what you've learned. You better hold to what you know. And so it tells us the importance of instruction. It tells us the importance of education. It shows us the imperative of training, not just children, but adults as well. And we have that philosophy as a church family. In chapter 2 and verse 4 of Titus, Paul wrote to that young pastor an encouraging note about older ladies in the church, church teaching the younger ladies in that church. To Timothy, a chapter before our text, Paul wrote this in chapter 2 and in verse 2. He said, In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Why? So that they, or who shall be able to teach others, 
Also, the idea of passing along knowledge and instruction, educating one another, is a very important concept, not just for homes as we looked at this morning, but it's a concept that we as a church believe in. You don't just come to Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or other things and just plant yourself. You're coming to learn. And everyone that's involved in preparing a message or preparing a lesson, they're coming to teach, to educate on some area of the Word of God. A key function of discipleship from this 2 Timothy 2.2 passage is to prepare others to teach others. That is the primary reason we try always to expand those who teach in the church here. We're always looking for new teachers. I am excited about next Sunday because Wes gets to teach. He's like, man, would you stop talking about that? <laughs> I'm excited as well. My dad, since we started the church here and they moved here in 2011, my dad used to teach. When I was my dad's going back into teaching. He doesn't like the idea, but he's going back into teaching. And he's a capable teacher. He taught me a lot in life. And so we love the idea of people that are capable of stepping into roles and teaching. It makes us exercise our spiritual man when we put ourselves out of a comfort zone and teach <clears throat> on a particular topic. So since it's Education Sunday, I'd like to highlight as our, in our Churches We Know It series, our church's philosophy of education. The philosophy is encompassing of the Sunday school efforts, both adults all the way down to our children, and it includes our discipleship program and other instructional ministries that have or may develop in the future. For example, a training institute, perhaps a future academy at the church. Uh, don't worry, I don't want everybody to hang on that and say, that's what we're doing. I'm simply saying this philosophy will guide everything that we do. It guides everything that we have done. So while this morning we focus on the personal, this evening I'd like to look on the public efforts of educating believers. Here it is in a nutshell at the beginning of your notes there. The bluegrass philosophy of education can be summarized by this. We will provide biblical instruction of our living faith built upon our living foundation, which will require manpower and monetary investment and consistent and competent implementation by the body. Now, that's a pretty robust philosophy, so let's look at it quickly in the 15 or so minutes that I would like to take to deal with it this evening. Number one, this philosophy starts by instructing from the Bible. You have your notes, and I should have them. If you don't, sorry about that. Were they not out there? We have notes? Everybody have notes? Okay, good. All right. Instructing from the Bible is the first one. The Bible we say around here, and we believe with all our heart, is the sole source of faith and practice. It's the only hope for a fallen world Amen. because it is the special revelation of God that tells us far beyond the creative wonders that God has given to us, how we get to know him personally. If you don't build your education upon the Bible as a church, I have no idea what you're building it upon. Yet there are some people that will build them on libraries or philosophies or particular thinkers of the world. That doesn't matter one iota. What matters is the Bible and the Bible alone. It is the base textbook for our teaching around here. Any material that we choose, any curriculum that we follow, from the adults to the children, will always begin with the Bible as the source text for all teaching. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. 
Thank you. Who knows the second stanza to that? No, you don't know the one I know. Take along with me. Go ahead. What else? Then okay. Well, the second stanza we sing at our house goes like this. That's a good one. Mom, I think, was singing the same one. Well, she's got another one. What's the other one? And that's okay. All right, good. Here's the one we sing with our boys, and they can sing it with me. The E-L-B-I-B. Yes, that's the book for me. From front to back and back to front, the E-L-B-I-B. Elbib. <laughs> Some of you really smart people will put it together that that's just Bible spelled backwards. Right? If that's not copyrighted, I'll take the copyright right now. Look, it's the Bible and the Bible alone that we build our educational philosophy on here. And so instructing from the Bible, we instruct first of our living faith, letter A. Luke 20 and verse 38, Jesus is answering the question of whose wife, the woman who was married to seven brothers in the hypothetical of the Pharisees, whose wife will she be? And Jesus answers them wonderfully, you're not married or given in marriage in heaven. But in Luke 20 and verse 38, he concludes by saying this, for he is not a God of the dead, but of the living. For all live unto him, or they live for his purpose. My job as a pastor is to teach you not your purpose in life, but to teach you how you can find that singular purpose living for his glory from this book. That's it. Sometimes it takes a lot of messages to get that message through. A lot of preaching. But that's the basic message of the Bible. Romans 5 and verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his what? Life. We have a living faith. Chapter 6, verses 8 and 9 in Romans says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we, all, we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, and it has no more dominion over us. The instruction that we give from the earliest of ages to the adult Sunday school is focused on, the living, uh, on us living the life of Christ right now. Not when we get to heaven, but living the life of Christ right now. We're not going to teach for dogma's sake. You know what that means? I'm not just going to teach you a bunch of liturgy. We'll leave that for the Catholics because it's a dead religion. They don't have a living faith. We'll leave that for other denominations or other cults or other false religions. They will teach you their dogma, their chants, and their creeds. We'll just teach you the book. Philosophically, that's what we're always going to do as a church. We are teaching and instructing from the Bible so that you can practically accomplish the will of God day by day. That does not mean we don't care about deep doctrine. We do. But we teach that doctrine in a way for it to be active and functional in your daily life. No matter how deep we have to think to figure it out, no matter how much we have to change to fully grasp it, we want it to always still be practical. It is a living faith. Why? Because... That instruction from the Bible is on or built upon our living foundation. First Corinthians 3 and verse 9, the Bible says, For we are laborers together with God, yea, you are God's husbandry, you are God's building, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth therein, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. In other words, we have a living foundation. 
The centerpiece of Old Testament teaching was the law and the coming of the Messiah. The cornerstone for our New Testament age is grace and the come Messiah, the Christ who has come. We preach Christ and we teach Christ's likeness. That is not to say that we cannot teach of the Old Testament. Romans 15 and verse 4 tells us that we can. Those things written of old were written for our learning, Paul says. We can teach them with a fuller context than even Isaiah, Jeremiah, or even John the Baptist could know them. We look to prophecy, but we cannot spend most of our time <clears throat> dwelling upon prophecy. Why? Because that is beyond our time. It is beyond our dispensation. What we have to preach is Christ and Christ crucified. We have to preach this book and live it. Of all of the different dispensations that have ever lived, and there will be eight of them as I understand the word of God, of all of the economies of how God has dealt with mankind, it is this age and the tribulation age that will be most on display in heaven for living faithfully when we only could walk by faith and not by sight. Israel will be blessed, but they will be blessed in their own covenant agreement. It is this generation. It is this dispensation. It is this economy. And that is why we educate you on those things. Because it's so important. Our philosophy of education begins with instruction from the Bible of our living faith built upon our living foundation. But next we find in our notes there's an investment by believers. Here's a simple statement. No teacher, no teaching. I mean, you can't teach if there's not a teacher there. Paul asked that great rhetorical question in chapter 10 of Romans. How shall they hear without a preacher? That's what I'm talking about here. So when we talk about the investment by believers, I'm talking about those who are willing to step into the program. <clears throat> programs don't save anybody. But it's people who are willing to serve within ministries and programs that can draw other people that they can be reached for Christ. <clears throat> Jessica enjoyed it. Heather, I'm sure you were nervous this morning. Uh, we have many of you ladies, several of you ladies that are wonderfully gracious and kind and probably enjoy it very much being Emerson's friend. I love it. So Emerson can go to Sunday school. But this morning... Victoria came in because uh, Jessica said, you go on in, I'll take care of it. Well, she came and sat in your class. And Jessica said at home this afternoon, she goes, I bet I made her nervous as a cat. She goes, I, I didn't mean to. I just went in with Emerson. Because Heather goes, what are you doing in here? <laughs> Can I tell you, she was thoroughly impressed with your willingness, especially in the week that you had, to teach young people. Your father's funeral. Your daughter's graduation, your own anniversary. And she said, I actually especially liked all the additions that Sherman had. Heather said at one point, Sherm, who would eat a bird that fell right out of the sky? And Sherman added, well, I guess if you're hungry, anybody would. <laughs> That's a good teaching team right there. Education can thrive within a corporate body when there is an investment letter A of manpower. People willing to do the work. Yeah. It's not easy. I know. 
the I tip my cap to all of you, but the ones I especially tip my cap to are the junior and super churches. You don't know how long I'm going to go. Everybody else has got a heart out at a certain clock time. Preacher's preacher. He can go as long as he wants. Brian came out in the hallway this morning and Shoo! And I said, yeah, I feel the same way. I probably don't because I didn't have a bunch of six to eight-year-olds acting like madmen and mad girls back there. But it takes manpower. But you can do it. The way I started in ministry was teaching. I started really as a janitor and as a ball coach, but they would find areas for me to teach. And when I began, I was terrible. Some of you think I still am, and that's fine. But I, when I began, I was terrible at it. And it took practice and refinement, practice and dedication. It takes an investment from the believer. Jesus tells us that the harvest of souls is white, ready to be harvested. But the laborers are what? Few. The same can be said of teaching and training of young believers. There's two things that a church must always look at when it comes to the manpower, philosophically, since we're talking that way this evening. First, it's the quality of the instruction. How many of you, please don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been to churches where you just see them take the kids and stick them into fun zone? And then they come and pick them up afterwards, and it's a madhouse, and there's silly spray going all over the place. That is not our philosophy of education. We are <coughs> cheating your children if we do that. We don't do it in here. Maybe Roger wants to every once in a while on Sunday school, but we don't do that in here. Hey, it's fun times. You say, well, that's how kids learn. I mean, we have a fun zone. We have an early learning period. We have a middle learning period. And then we have a late learning period all during the morning hour. But it's not just all run around and scream. We have an approach that is logical. There's a quality of instruction that's being given. And then there's, secondly, the quantity of instructors. When it comes to manpower, what's the quality of the instruction given and what's the quantity? How many do you have? I remember when Mike and Jerry came and joined the church back in 2011. Miss Jerry said, I am going to be the children's ministry leader. And you took it. She did fantastic. And dragged some of you ladies along with her. We had one before and it was good. But Miss Jerry came in and it was and I remember sometimes, Brother Mike, you will, you'll remember this. She would come out on a Sunday morning and there's just beads of sweat. Because she's worked so hard that morning it pouring herself into those kids. You could walk by in that one room and it had a window in it in that little tiny building that we were in. And you could see Mrs. Duffy. And I also remember when Mrs. Duffy came about two years ago and said, right before the pandemic, she said, I think there's other people that can do this. <laughs> I'm tired. And it's hard work. To do it all the time. It's a wonderful thing how many of you have stepped in over the years to do so much. The investment from the believers is that of manpower, but letter B, it's of money. It costs money to run programs. The Sunday school program from the top to the bottom, that means adults all the way down to the youngest ages being taught, runs when you add up all of the effective costs about one close to 2% of the overall church budget. So on an annual size, it's around three dollars to $5,000. That's not that much money. But I do know that as we grow, guess what that line item will do? It'll swell. 
We'll have more classes, we'll have more teachers, we'll have more rooms, there's more things that we will need to have done. There's a process to it, and so there's money that's involved. Oh, don't shiver too much, especially some of you deacons when I say this. But if an academy or a cooperative were ever discussed and decided upon, there'd be another stream of funding that would be needed or need to be realized. By the way, as an aside, we used to run an academy here. It wasn't that crazy, was it, Sid? Yeah, had its moments. Right. Don't just edit that out of the YouTube. <laughs> it did have its moments. But that academy even had a form within the philosophy of education here. It would never take more than 3% of the church's budget. Why did we do that? Because an academy is a ministry, it is not the monster. It's all guided by our philosophy. Our goal is to teach and to train children. And if the families aren't invested in the process, it's going to be awful hard for us to be invested in the process. We believe then, and we believe still today, that those using the academy should primarily fund it through the church. Excuse me, though the church should not necessarily charge the educational ministry with rent, utilities, or overhead costs. We did not make sure it was overly funded. Simply put, as we sum this total up, the investment of manpower and money is a realization that we must factor on a corporate level of why and how we educate. We'll provide biblical instruction then of our living faith built upon our living foundation, which will require manpower and monetary investment. And finally, this evening, there is implementation by the body. This is part of our philosophy. We have to do it. The Bible tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Have you ever been to a church that talks a big game? I've been around and in churches like that before as well. We don't believe that here. What we say we're going to do, what we set our minds to do, what we've invested in, manpower and money, we're going to make sure that it is implemented, that it is put in practice the right way. How do we implement teaching, training, and education? Two things and we're done. One, we educate consistently. Sunday school, discipleship, and any other form of education must be consistent. Here's some consistent things we do. We teach from the King James Bible. Well, I've got another version. Praise the Lord. Good for you. The church has a policy and a standard that we're going to be consistent by using that. Pastor knows only his verses in that. That's why we use it. No, there's a lot more reasons to it than that. There's much more depth to it than that. And on another service or another night, we can talk about that. Simply put, that's a consistency. We try to have rotations of teachers, <clears throat> but there are always we are always working to develop new ones. In other words, if you teach in the children's ministry, we've already notified all of the fall, so September through next March have already been notified. They already know when the teacher's training is going to be, or they know when there's going to be a meeting or a review. Uh, we've set these things up so that they understand going into it, these staff members in particular, Help us volunteers to be as successful as we possibly can. We follow a format in everything we do in our education. 
Not because there is sanctity in a format, but because there's sanity in a format. <laughs> Some people make format or programming or the way that you do this and do this at the next time. They make that the white whale. They make that the golden calf. No, we don't do it because of the sanctity of format. We do it because it's sane. I in the office can have a staff meeting on Monday and I can say, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. Who needs help with what? There's a process to it for us. So it's consistent. Finally, we educate competently. Let it be. We educate competently. We train teachers to teach. We recruit and are always eager to find new ones. But even those, we, even those new ones, we make sure that there is a competency to their teaching. Their reasoning ability, their delivery, their dedication to the subject and source material, the Bible. We want to make sure that whomever is teaching, have we made a mistake? Oh, listen, we're human. You are too. All of us that have stood in the pulpit or in the place of a teacher have made mistakes. Sometimes we give our Bible to a kid that just graduated high school. <laughs> I'm glad you gave it back. I've had this since I was in high school. So yes, we make mistakes, but that doesn't remove us from being competent or striving for competency in what we do. By the way, don't let that scare you if you're considering jumping into being a teacher or a helper in one of the classrooms. If you're new or interested in teaching, instead, let that comfort you. We, as a body of believers, want you to succeed. Because if you do, then we do. We want you to be competent so that we have complete and more mature students. Whether they're children walking out of junior church, or they're adults walking out of the Sunday school hour. By the way, it is hard to see sometimes, isn't it, Brian? Isn't it, Brian? Isn't it, David? When you walk out of junior church and your tie is crooked and your jacket is askew and you're thinking, I hope I did something good with those kids. You see it in the fact that those kids keep coming back and they want to know more. Competent teachers will help mold and strengthen and shape our children over time. By the way, the same is true for adults that teach adults. So in closing tonight, if you've not jumped into the educational process at Bluegrass, I hope you do soon. The chief requirement for being a teacher is to be a student of the Bible. If you can't teach, then help, support, and show your love for edifying and building up the church body as a whole. Find a way to fit in to the educational process of the church. Whether that means children's ministry or the adult teaching ministry, Everyone can find somewhere to invest their own educational growth. Maybe it's you growing by just being here for Sunday school. That would be a growth point. Well, come. Find out who's here. Find out how to grow. Again, that philosophy is this. We will provide biblical instruction of our living faith built upon our living foundation, which will require manpower, and monetary investment and consistent and competent implementation by the body here at Bluegrass. So in closing to our graduates, I say one more time, congratulations. And since you all 